Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to the Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. You may be seated. So this is my question after reading this whole passage. I don't know if you realize this, but this is the most extensive. This is the longest passage. This is the longest instruction that we have for one of the most important relationships on this planet. And yet, it's only, what, a few verses. I mean, marriage is really important. God said so, and we're going to see today that it's modeled after something that is extremely important. So why in the world doesn't he give us more? Have you ever thought about some of the issues today that, that are issues in, our, in today's world, you're like, I wish he would have just given us more. I mean, literally, I don't know if any of you have had this thought, he gives us chapters and chapters and thousands of words on how Israel was supposed to construct the tabernacle and run all this stuff, right? And you're like, but you can only do a couple verses on marriage? Why is that? I tell you why. The theme of today, you're going to hear it now, you'll hear it at the end. A countercultural kingdom lifestyle. We know it's not, this, this whole world's not conducive to being a Christian, to following Christ. A countercultural kingdom lifestyle, a healthy relationship with God, leads to loving, healthy relationships. And loving, healthy relationships lead to loving, healthy marriages. Listen, from cover to cover. This book is about marriage. You're like, well, it doesn't seem like it. It's about pursuing Christ. It's about knowing God. And when we are able to get that mindset, that changes every relationship. When we are able to do relationships well, we do marriage well. Marriage is simply a relationship. The relationship with God is the key to having a good marriage. Now, be honest with me. How many of you are like, I wish there was some other equation? Like, I wish we could reverse engineer it, but you can't. 
You can't go to the local bookstore and buy 14 books on marriage and all of a sudden be great at marriage. You might get some tips. You might get some things you're like, okay, God's truth is the foundation to being great at marriage because it's about being great at relationships. If you remember, in Ephesians chapter 5 when we started here, and this is so applicable that when you think about Ephesus and their town, have you noticed that whether you're in the ancient Near East or the Old Testament or the Greco-Roman world or the New Testament, that humans were the same then as they are over here at Hill City? Like the core, the core of the problems, the core of sin. Now, sin might manifest itself differently here as opposed to there, but most of the time it doesn't. What we struggle with today, we think, oh, it's such a wicked society, and it is. It's a wicked world. But listen, Paul's writing this to people in Ephesus. Why do you think that he writes this about marriage? We'll see how he bookends it in Ephesians. But chapter 5 and chapter 6 are kind of one long passage. And I've told you this before, but you just have to remember, the reason we have chapters and verses, that wasn't given by the Holy Spirit. That was given for us to find things easier because we don't know this Bible as well as we should. I digress. Chapters 5 and 6 is one, is one long thought from Paul. And we'll see how that the marriage instruction works in there. Because it's really a whole structure, is a, a whole chapter on relationships essentially. But at the beginning of chapter 5 it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And all the parents said, amen. They don't do what we say, but they do what we do. Oh, the stories we could tell of what they've repeated or what they've mimicked. He says, be imitators of God. I want you to start thinking of this imitation, this mimicking, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He talks about walking in love. He talks about walking as children of light. And then he goes on to say, walk in wisdom. Walk literally just means lifestyle. He said, I want your lifestyle to be one of love and of light and of wisdom. But I want you to think of this. And we've been using building language because Paul used business building language here in Ephesians. So I want you to think of this slide, blueprint. Like without this, especially those of you that are builders in here, your difficult, your jobs would be. They would be pretty difficult if you didn't have these. Like if you just had three or four guys show up on the first day and start, hey, what do you think the length should be? And you just start winging it, right? There's a blueprint. He says, I want you to be imitators of me. So, okay, if we're going to be really good at marriage, we follow the blueprint that God has given us. We become imitators of him. We become imitators of Jesus if we want to be great in the marriage relationship. And for some of you, I know that, that once we've changed up services and we have classes going, there's more of you in here that you're not married yet. And listen, I want to encourage you, now is the time to focus on being great at relationships. And I'm just going to tell you, I promise you, God is my witness. You can, you can verify through the other married people in here. You do really well at relationships now. Marriage will be that much easier. Listen, if you date well, if you break up well, if you have difficult conversations well, if you set boundaries well, listen, that carries over into marriage. People talk about the garbage carrying over into marriage. It does. 
But you know what else carries over? The godliness, the wisdom, the discipline carries over. Listen, when we begin this passage, it talks about our lifestyle in Ephesians 1 through 21. And you come to this, and it talks about relationships. We're talking about the marital relationship now. In the next few weeks, you'll see the parental relationships, and then work relationships, socioeconomic relationships. He gives instruction. And then on the back side of that is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 that we'll get to. It's talking about spiritual warfare. So he bookends relationships with your lifestyle, and you better have it down because you got spiritual warfare in the back end of that that's going to attack those relationships. That's how Paul lays it out. So the Holy Spirit guided him to lay it out. So our first blueprint, what's our first blueprint? A blueprint for submission. In this context, Brad told you last week, in verse 21, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And remember that word fear because he's going to bookend it. He's going to use it as an inclusio, a literary bookend at the front and at the back. In, in verse 22, Brad taught last week, wives... It doesn't even have submit in Greek. It says, to your own husbands. It's implied from verse 21. That's why we put it in there. Wives, submit to your own husbands in fear. Now, before I go there, I do want to tell you one thing. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. And you know, when I teach, I usually, I usually don't. There's a reason. Whenever we deal with a passage like this, and it is sensitive, especially in our culture. Whenever we are teaching and reminding that we need to be unified in God's word and stand firm in the midst of a culture that is totally counter to what we are told to believe. I feel more comfortable going to God's word and using it maybe a little heavier to reinforce these things. And so I want to turn to Philippians chapter 2 if you've got your Bible. If not, just hear along with me. He says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You think he's driving home a point? He says, I want you to be unified, unified in the spirit, unified in what you think, and what you think comes from what you have learned. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Maybe one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to obey. Anybody else? Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. You understand that Jesus is equal with God, but he chose submission on this earth for us. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. See, there are so much, 
There's so much bad information in our society that says if someone is an authority over you, if they have a God-given role that is above you, that you are less than. And I want to reiterate what Brad said last week. Listen, theologically, this church would stand in, in line with what we call a complementarian theology. We believe that men and women are equal in essence, equal in dignity, but that God has given men and women different roles in the structure of the home and in other places. We read this and we think, well, why did Jesus think himself less? Well, in a way, he became less, and he submitted to a God-given structure that needed to take place for us. So when we read this, wives, submit to your husbands, it's not like this, well, I'm a less than. It's no, you're, you're equal to, as to the Lord. You're like, well, what if my husband's being an idiot? I know it's tough because we are a lot, Right? You just have to remember, as to the Lord, I'm not doing it just for him. There's a higher structure, someone who designed it, someone who created the blueprint, I do it for him. For the husband is the head of the wife, headship and leadership. What does that look like? Man, hopefully this summer, you'll hear more about it later. We can unpack that in three weeks. Many of you that have questions, we'll be able to ask those and work through those. Even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior, now as the church submits to Christ, constantly when he asks difficult things of us, he always gives us a blueprint. He gives us the blueprint, he gives us the encouragement, and then when we feel discouraged, he gives us more encouragement. That's how God works. He's not against us, he's for us. I love what Brad said last week. I think it's worth reiterating. Men, what blueprint of submission do your wives see modeled in your relationship with Jesus? Men, anybody else that hit home last week? Well, you just don't understand, Stephen. She just, I try to lead, just does her own thing, thinks her own thing, will never. Hmm. I wonder if I interviewed Jesus, if that would be indicative of you. It's pretty convicting, is it not? As a leader, as the head, that relationship with Jesus. He gives us a blueprint for submission. He gives us a blueprint for sacrifice. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, and having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Let me just tell you, there's a blueprint here, and some people miss it. And I said, I can't tell you exactly how this works, but it does. Men, if you will dedicate your passion and your heart to loving this book, you will sanctify your wife. You will set her up for success. You will, you will exalt her. Listen, those of you young men in here, that you, you might not even be thinking marriage yet. Rightly so. But you're thinking dating. And I just want you to know that dating is a, some weird system of pre-marriage that we have created. So let me just call it pre-marriage, okay? 
you're in pre-marriage, you want a really good one, number one, you start praying. Number two, love this book. Obey it. Submit to it. When you submit to Jesus, do you think he might bless you with someone who voluntarily loves you and respects you and wants to follow your leadership? I believe he does. He's good. He loves giving us good gifts. Take it like this in in Luke chapter 9. And he said to all, Jesus speaking, if any would come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, that's, that's sacrificing. That's the same sacrifice that we read in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus sacrificing. There's a blueprint for submission and there's a blueprint for sacrifice for us. He says, whoever loses his life for myself will save it. It's that emptying, it's that carrying of the cross daily that he requires. You think, what does this have to do with relationships? This is the foundation to healthy relationships. Because this is the the relationship that matters between us and our creator God. He goes on in chapter 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife... And you, you know what he's doing. It's hyperbole, right? He's going so extreme to drive home a point. It's a figure of speech, and it's used more in the Hebrew culture. But he says this, if you, if you come to me and you don't hate your own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Marriage is a continuation of discipleship. Pre-marriage dating relationships is an extension of your discipleship with Christ. That's it. If you're not doing discipleship well, following Christ, listen, I'm going to tell you, there might be a season where you think you're doing relationships well. There might be a little iceberg sticking out of the water that looks okay, but I guarantee you the iceberg that's underneath the foundation, it's rotten. It's on sand. It's not on rock. And he says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower doesn't count the cost. It's about counting the cost of discipleship. He says, when you have had enough to complete it, complete it. So therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Can I tell you one of the most dangerous things I've seen in American Christianity, and especially around marriage, is that we start out and we build it ourselves according to our own blueprint. And whenever things don't go wrong, we try to go and take something from God's blueprint and patch it. Instead of just starting with God's blueprint. I hope you figure it out by now. Salvation isn't that you have a life and you add God to it. Listen, if you're in here today and you don't really know if you have a personal relationship with Christ, you you don't know God. You don't know what your purpose is here. You don't know what your future is. Please, let me tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is 
that he came to reconcile you because you don't know God. And he wants to reconcile you in your relationship to God. And the way he did that is in the gospel. We talk about it here a lot. But let me just tell you something. Following Christ is not about adding something to your pre-existing life. It is about stripping down to nothing. And knowing that you are absolutely empty and you build a foundation on Christ, you don't add him. We have the blueprint for submission. We have one for sacrifice. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul shows us that Jesus did not use this power to oppress, but sacrificed everything to him. He sacrificed everything to bring us into union with him. Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. It's a great book on marriage. It's so theologically based. Blueprint for submission and sacrifice, and we have a blueprint for love. And you know, I thought love gets thrown out there a lot. In fact, if you just read through this next passage, it's like, love your wives, Christ love the church, and we think, okay, love, 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 love. It's always out there. And sometimes I think we forget. First Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. <laughs> you started out kind of difficult. Thursday night, sitting there, laying in bed, Natalia's doing something on the computer. And I'm going back to my office, and she said, hey, uh, will you uh, take the chili and put it back in the, uh, pour it into another bowl, which made it so much more complicated. Pour it into another bowl, put the lid on that, and shove it in the, the fridge. Yeah, sure, no problem. Friday morning. Steven! Yeah. Chili! I'm so sorry. And listen. God's my witness, I said sorry like three times, and I genuinely meant it. And she kept going. I said, I had to go back to my office to work on the sermon. If you wanted to do it, you should have done it yourself. Why are we yelling? Well, we yell sometimes, but we were just a long ways away, for those of you that were real worried. Patient and kind. Wasn't very patient, wasn't very kind, was it? It's very difficult. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. In a society where narcissism is prevalent, it does not insist on its own way. Just a marriage tip, this is the only one you'll get. Guys, I love to argue. Like, if you just pull me aside after and you just pick any subject, I'll, I'll take the opposite side and I'll just argue with you. I love it. It's fun. I love verbal sparring. Not wasn't really built for the physical part, you know. <laughs> I love verbal sparring. I have figured out in 20 years of marriage, it's so much more pleasant just to let it go. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. That means you give people the benefit of the doubt over and over again. Hopes all things, and it endures all things. So as we read love in this next passage, that's what it means. We have a blueprint for submission and sacrifice and love. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, I don't want to worry any of you, but I had a pretty rough night last night and morning. So last night I had to miss dinner. Okay? I know some of you are already like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I had to skip dinner. And this morning I woke up and I put on this shirt. It's new. Still had the tags on it. Took the tags off. But I hate, I don't know if there's any of you that I hate like tags on the neck. So literally I'm walking around the room just like <laughs> trying to figure out. I'm like, should I go get scissor and cut it off? No, it's too late. I just can't. I got to go. I'm literally driving here. I'm like, just. <laughs> At home. The devil comes up to me and says, tell you what, I'll fill your belly and I'll magically take the tag off your shirt. <laughs> no deal, devil. No chance. So then I go to put new contacts in. Whatever reason, they were messed up. So I had to walk all the way up to the car, get an old pair that I keep just in case. I know it's weird. I take contacts with me everywhere. I fear being out of one. I am miserable at this point. I'm hungry. The tag is driving me crazy. And so I walk back in and tell, he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, have you seen the devil? I got a deal to make. What deal? He told me that uh, he'd fill my belly, take the tag off if uh, you were sick for a whole week. He's like, what? Where's that devil? I got a deal to make. What's the story about there's a point where I might have made the deal. I was miserable. You're like, well, that's not very spiritual. I hope you know it's in jest. Why? We always take care of our own bodies, do we not? And when we're, we physically are not happy, we are miserable. Am I the only one? If I were to stand at the door and everyone walks out today, all you guys, I probably won't see a lot of guys who've missed many meals. Correct? Will I see any guys who eat every single meal, make sure they're happy, but yet are not being good leaders? not being good heads of the home. Anybody else with me? Yeah, we, our first, our first instinct is to take care of us many times, is it not? He says, that's not love. That's not what the blueprint is. That's not what's modeled. Those three things, the blueprint for submission and sacrifice and love, they come together and they're consolidated in this, number four. It's a blueprint for a gospel-centered relationship. In chapter 5, verse 31, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And if you just notice, this goes back to Genesis chapter 2 and goes back to the beginning. It's the story of, of God creating man. And let me just tell you something. If you don't believe in a creator God that created humans... I'm just going to tell you, even that is a shaky foundation 
for a marriage. Why? Because everything comes from that. If he's not the creator, then who is he to design what marriage should be? Can't, can't I have both? Can't I believe that we just mysteriously appeared and evolved and, and, and just showed up here? No, it's mental gymnastics. It'll, it'll eventually break down because it's not logical. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely, you may surely eat of the tree, every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now listen, he doesn't want us to be lonely. And that is an application of this verse. He wants us to be in community. He wants us to have relationships. But what he's talking about here is the marriage relationship. He's going to create someone. And it says, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and he names all these. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on him. And while he slept he took one of his ribs. If you didn't know that, that's why men have belly buttons. He went in and took the rib. I'm just kidding. There's some of you doctors that are like, that is not true. Why do men have belly buttons? I don't know. Right? Because you were born with umbilical cord. I get it. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man made it into a woman and brought her to the man. And then he said, the first poetry in the Bible. This is like a quote from him. It's poetic. He said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. The word here and the word that Paul quotes, hold fast, is like glued. That's what it means. Its semantic meaning is glued together. Now, you need to know this. You take two humans and you glue them together. Now, listen, this is... This is more comprehensive than just that, but it does talk about the sexual cons- consummation of marriage, that that glues people together. And you're like, I don't know, why do you think in 1 Corinthians it's such a big deal when he's talking about men that are sleeping with prostitutes and how that's a, a sin against their own soul? And, it's, and it goes back and refers to this passage again. When Jesus is confronted about divorce and remarriage, he doesn't start playing their games because the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're all arguing, they have different views. He doesn't even jump in and take a side. He goes back to this same passage and says, this is what I intended. And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And I was thinking through this and I said, okay, how do we navigate a world that now has a pregnant man emoji? How do we navigate that? I, I want to try to give us a framework. All the craziness that's going on with gender, sexuality, I want you to please think about it like this. What we just read was order. It was the way that God had ordered things, his blueprint. And then we know just a chapter later, there's this chaos and disorder because of sin. Sin crept into every nook and cranny in 
our bodies in the universe, the destruction of sin, I don't think we'll ever fully realize. You had the way he ordered it, and you had disorder. But we know that he sent Christ to reorder things. If you've ever wondered, okay, we're made in the image of God, but man, it sure doesn't seem like we're like God. The best way I can explain it to you is imagine you're in front of a mirror, and you punch the mirror. None of it falls, but it's still up there. And you can see, like, you can just do this, and you can see your face, and you see this, but you look distorted, and you're like, that's what sin did. Men and women are still in the image of God, but it's broken. And what, what the Christian life is, what Christ wants to do, what God wants to do through Christ, is he wants to reorder what has been disordered. He wants to bring some calm to the chaos. He wants to bring healing to the hurt. That's what he's doing. So in the framework of order and disorder, we know that there's going to be a day when he orders it again. Thank God that's the consummation of all things. That's when he gets to reinstitute it the way he wanted to do it. That's the way when, when no more tears, no more death, when we get to live with Christ forever, he orders it again. But in this disorder, a pregnant man emoji. What is our stance? First of all, it doesn't need to be condemned. All of that is condemned already, right? Like the wrath of God is upon it. I want our focus to be on the reorder. Like we, we want it to be back like this, and we, work, we strive so hard to get back here, conforming into the image of Christ. We want to get back to the order. So in the disorder, our posture, I hope to God during all this craziness, is trying to help reorder it in sensitivity and in love, standing firm that it is disorder. It's disorder. It's not the way that God blueprinted it. It's not the way he ordered it. And we never take those stands. We are people of reordering because that's what Christ is about. And in verse 32, it says, this mystery is profound. What mystery? It's simply in the context of two people coming together and they can be glued together. It's mysterious. And not only that, he says, this relationship and marriage, these two people being glued together, it's a picture of Christ in the church. When you started reading Ephesians, did you notice how much in Christ, in Christ, in Christ kept popping up? How is that possible? How can we be glued to, how can we be in Christ? How is that possible? It's mysterious. If we understood it, we would be God. He said, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, most of the time in the New Testament, it says you, you, and it's not talking about you individually. It's talking corporately. It's plural. This is one of the few times in the New Testament, Paul says, let each one of you love his wife as himself. He knew the people in Ephesus needed this encouragement. He, they needed this instruction. We need this encouragement. We need this instruction, do we not? And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now listen, I'm going here because the Bible goes here. Do you remember when I told you in verse 21, when it talked about submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord? Guess what same word is used here some translations are brave enough to translate it, 
and I know why they translate it respect, it's because so much misunderstanding is around the word fear. But you realize that fearing God isn't that you're always like cowarding, that you're not scared of him coming to punish you, but it's a holy reverence, it's a respect for him. That is the posture that we take with God. We know that he wants the best for us. He loves us. We don't shrink away from that. We don't just always think that we're going to get punished or hurt. It's not that. It's a holy reverence respecting that he has authority over us. This is a literary inclusio. Paul meant for it to be in there. When he's using a Greek word here and a Greek word here, he intends for it to be there. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, what was encouraging this past week is we, we have our city group of young adults, mostly 20s. To be honest, I was excited about the conversation last week, and I was a little nervous. Um, and it was so encouraging. Um, one of the girls, she's mid-20s, low-20s, hasn't been a believer that long. She said, I was at a, a wedding a couple years ago, and they used this, this passage in the wedding, and I thought, ugh, it's so disgusting. Like, that's not what I want. Like, how oppressive, how chauvinistic, ugh. And she says, as I've grown in the last couple years, she goes, that is exactly what I want. Because I realize that that's how God's designed it. I know that if God designed it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's the best. But if he designed it, I'll trust him. I've had to trust him for more difficult things, I think, and he's never failed me. I can trust him in that. It was really encouraging. I think sometimes we assume, maybe because of things that we thought or things that we've seen, younger generations think the same. I pray that we do this. We don't shy away like Brad said last week. I pray that we, we honor God and his design, even when we don't fully understand it, even sometimes when we don't agree. We don't see how it's going to work out. We don't see how it's best. Well, I think if I take care of me and they take care of them, it'll be better. No, no, it's not. And we just trust God and his word. I want to encourage you today. Healthy marriages come from healthy relationships. Healthy relationships, plural, come from a healthy relationship that matters the most, the ultimate relationship. Listen, if something is wrong in your marriage, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, there's something wrong here and there's something wrong in prayer. Listen, I'll speak to the men. If you want to change the dynamic, you have to be the one that if you move you're the one saying, hey, let's check out new churches. I've already listened to eight sermons online. Uh, which one do you want to go to today? You're the one that if you get a pay bump, you're the one that comes home and says, hey, I've got an idea where we can give this money away and be generous to the kingdom. You've got to be the one that will love like 1 Corinthians 13. Be patient and kind and set an example. It is our leadership in our headship that will bring fruit. And as we'll talk about next week, where will it bring fruit? Not only in our marriage, but the people that we are training in marriage, the people that we have influence over, but like next week, the most important people to us, the little tiny eyes in our house that watch, 
listen, they're not just watching your marriage. They are watching Christ and the church. It's a mystery. They are seeing how Christians respond to Christ. That is what they see. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, if you're serving communion, please make your way down. This is a time as a church that we just, we reflect. And it's, it's a physical symbol that, that we use to reflect on what Jesus Christ did for us. The breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood so that we can be reconciled back to God.